Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I'm back with a familiar guest who we haven't had in quite a while. Jack, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me again, Sarah. How are you doing? No worries. I'm really good. Um, so how's life been in between our last episode and this one? I know that you've been really busy, but tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, look, the property market um, really uh, took off um, since we last caught up and it became a bit of a frenzy where, you know, values across uh, the country um, just went through the roof and and with that came, you know, the classic fear of missing out and everyone, um, every man and his dog sort of thing wanted to purchase, which is, you know, for me, fin- you know, very grateful that, uh, that that happened, you know, especially with COVID going on. I was in an industry which was thriving and has continued mm. to. Um, but yeah, it hasn't stopped because now we've got everyone with their New Year's resolutions wanting to do it. So yeah, uh, yeah full steam ahead as always. Yeah, it's everyone's favourite topic, property, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about um, the time in between buying your first home and your second because we had someone, Ashley, shout out to you, who listens to the podcast and she was saying that she kind of wants to hear a bit about that next step. So you've sort of got into your first home and now you're wondering how you can get on to buying a second one or an investment property and like all the things that sort of come along with that um, and a few just questions that went unanswered. So we're going to get straight into that and kick it off with, do you need to live in the home to make the requirements of first home buyer grants? Yeah, so um, for first home buyer grants, um, yes, for the first six months of purchasing your first owner-occupied property when you've been eligible for any grants or, you know, using your KiwiSaver, the first six months, um, yes, uh, you do need to live in it. The thing with that, though, is the Homestart grants is probably an interesting topic at the moment because of the increases we've seen with um, the prices is that I want, I kind of wonder whether those um, price caps that they've got are actually still relevant because it's quite mm. hard. For example, in Auckland, it's 600 for an exist, 600000 for an existing property or six fifty dollars uh, for a new build. But then we've got, you know, in Wellington or Hamilton, you know, it's it's a 500 for an uh, existing or five fifty dollars uh, for a new build. So I think... It's less and less common that we're seeing people being eligible just because of those um, price caps being quite low and not reviewed uh, mm. by the government. But yes, there, to answer the question, I've probably expanded a bit there, but yes, six months. No, that's interesting. I um, actually didn't know that those caps were that low. Mm. And so going forward, I think that's something that they're definitely going to have to review because even now, I can't imagine that many people would be buying. Like, What, would, what do you see usually people buying at that yeah, you have to be prepared to, to live in the outskirts. I mean, look, I'll talk Auckland mm. as being my place, but in terms of the outskirts being like further south or further west sort of thing in order to get within it, or new builds where it's one or two bedrooms to get to that 650. And even with that is that the the price caps are there, but also the income caps. So for a single income earner, it's 85,000 uh, earnings for the last 12 months. Well, at 85,000, potentially you're not going to be actually um, eligible to afford the debt and the bank might not even approve mm. uh, for that upper end, depending on what deposit you've got. So, I mean, it would be nice to see some reviews in that to make that um, more inclusive, potentially, um, for people. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to sort of investment property mm-hmm. chat. So if you are wanting an investment property, 
What happens in between buying your first home and that? Is that something we need to start thinking about prior to buying our first home or after? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, if you if that's you know having clarity around your goals will allow you to do that um, quicker. I mean, you might get there if you just purchase and then kind of go through the motions. But I think the best people that I've seen like kick off their property journey is that when they've bought their first it's been in within mind what's happening with the second so I've got kind of four tips as to how that may um, you know be effective ways of doing it which would be the first being is to try and buy the property under the market value and that's pretty tough because um, usually what people say is that you know what you pay for the property is what it's worth but in actual fact you know what people can understand is is that there's people that are trying to sell property for reasons, and if you're able to help them with that, there is negotiation in all parts of the contract. So if you can purchase something maybe 20,000, 30,000 under the real value, well instantly that's equity, and which we'll talk about soon as to how you can leverage or use that equity by the second one. But uh, yeah, buying under value, um, and that just comes with being a, a market expert in the areas you're looking at, is to be really diligent as to how you understand you know oh this price is worth this actually I think that's maybe too much or too less and then you can go on from that uh, Mm -hmm. which just comes from time and investigating. Uh, The second is having really good mortgage structures with the first one and paying that off quicker or with facilities that allow you to be more flexible with that Um, so you're quickly reducing your debt to then you can re-leverage that in, in the future for a new property which we'll go through soon. And then it's just the general savings for the third tip would just be can you put away extra funds? Do you have surplus that you're disciplined with putting away so that you can build the deposit up up for the second one, excuse me? Mm. And then the last one is hopefully good old capital gains does some work for you and you don't have to touch it. Um, And and those things... um, you know, just means that you've got more value at the end of the day to re-leverage. And I'll actually, I didn't write this one down, but I'll throw in the last one is, what can you do with what you've got? So when you buy your property, is there anything you can improve to that property so that when you pull in a valuer uh, to come and say, what's my you know property worth, that it's going to have some jump, you know, paint, carpet, mm. uh, the gardens, you know, things that uh, you can pretty much do yourself, you know, just, just the little things which every dollar counts when you're looking to re-leverage. What's within your control to realise some more value? Because, uh, yeah, the, the more your property revalues that, the better chance you have of being able to buy that second one. Mm. So just another question mm-hmm. um, that I've sort of thought of now, which is probably maybe more opinion-based, but I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. So when you are interested in buying a second property or an investment property, yep. do you think that majority of people would look to buying an old home that they could do up or is a new build more preferable there or is it just completely sort of up to the personal situation of the person or yeah I mean that you've probably hit it on the head with the the person I think there's pros and cons for each type of property you know with an with an existing property yes you can add value to it which allows you to um you know realize some some more leverage in the future but at the end of the day you've got to have the money to to do that or the time um, or have people around you who can support you. So not everyone has that or wants that. Um, and then with new build properties, you know what you're buying is it's a complete product which is going to usually have a 10-year uh, guarantee or it's just going to be in such good condition that the maintenance of it is going to be really cost-effective going forward, um, which means that it can um, you know, be of good value. So I think it's uh, much of a muchness. And what I usually suggest when people are trying to buy a property, this kind of theory comes around is to buy to your weakness. So if you're buying an investment property, for example, and you've got really good servicing and numbers, you can really afford the debt, mm-hmm. but you're short on deposit or equity, 
then you're looking to buy something that is um, you know, undervalue or creates your equity by doing the renovations, for example, because that's your weakness. You want to buy to your weakness to keep going. Or if you've you know, got you know, minimal servicing, it's barely scraping through the bank pass rates, but you've got great equity, then you're looking for properties that cash flow really well. So they're properties that you can buy at a decent price, but they've got good rental income because that's going to boost your servicing, which is your weakness. So that's a tip that I kind of picked up quite early on as to what investors uh, can do to help them prolong their yeah. their life in the game. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super interesting. And so in addition to that, why would someone want an investment property? Are there any benefits of owning one? Yeah, look, I'm biased. This is this is my bread and butter in terms of like being in the industry, right? But mm-hmm. um, for a lot of Kiwis, it's a tried and true method, right? With it's the long-standing theory as well that property values double every every 10 years, right? So most people take that 10% growth in an asset, uh, right? The other thing is is that it's one of the only asset classes that allows for leverage. And that's where you can, you know, borrow against properties. So you can buy your first one. Yep, you've, you know, worked really hard on your deposit. You've got your KiwiSaver, hopefully maybe the grants or whatever. But to buy that second one, potentially you put no, no uh, money into it yourself because you completely leverage against your asset. Um, which means that you're, you know, you're picking up another five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar property with no money down. You know, th- how many other asset classes can you do that with? Mm. And um, you know, that's why it's a fantastic tool. Plus, it pays you. You know, someone's going to live in it, and you're creating a home for someone. I could, yeah, I, I love it. It's you know, creating a home for someone, even if you just are emotionally based and driven, you're creating a home for a family potentially. And isn't how cool is that that you can mm. contribute to, you know, this big housing problem we've got? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the emotional drive behind it as well. And so how does someone afford a second property while paying off their mortgage for the first property? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one as to the theories behind how to best structure. And that comes down to your individual circumstances as to where you want your money going. Mm. But a key principle is a good investment should pay you. So if you're buying a property, you know, the theory is, is that you buy something that covers its own costs at least and anything yeah. you'd love it I mean it would be fantastic if it could even pay you a little bit of an income as well but it mm. should at least cover its own costs so you know that's your your mortgage your the rates the insurance the maintenance uh, maybe two weeks of vacancies things like that so if you're looking at the numbers you know depending on how you want to work it out whether it's principal and interest so you're reducing the loan or a lot of investors actually look at interest only where you're only paying the cost to the bank just so you can focus on your personal property and reducing that debt is that's non-tax deductible and that's where a good accountant can come in and give you some supporters. We work with good, like a, a good client has a good accountant, a good mortgage advisor and a good lawyer because as a team we make sure it's set up and fit for purpose but mm. the best thing you can do is that your selection and property will allow you to just focus on your own mortgage while the other one almost you can set and forget, get a good property manager in as well. Yeah, and is that something that you would work with your clients with to help them through and sort of like navigate that process? Yeah, I think it would be around just talking to them around what they're looking for. And and, and because at the end of the day, mortgage advisor by title, I can tell them how it influences the mortgage and then we can have those conversations and then they can take that towards their investing strategy. Mm. Um, But very key when I get an investor in front of me is, is a talking around, yeah, what accountant are you using and what structures they suggest um, as well to make right. sure they're fit for purpose. Okay, yeah. cool. And how does borrowing against my property, for example, yep. to buy another work? So I guess like how do we, how do I leverage off my first home for the next? 
Yeah, so hopefully these numbers, um, you c- people can follow them. Um, not always easy listening I'm to gonna them. I'm going to be so keeping a... Yeah, you keep a tab on me. So <laughs> I'll slow. It, I'll make sure it's slow. So I've got round numbers here. But, I mean, look, leverage is, is doing a lot with a little. Mm. So that was that whole idea of not using any uh, money into the next one. So you've bought your first home. Congratulations. Absolutely fantastic. Let's, let's run through a scenario here. So um, Aucklanders will laugh at these values. Other people might think it's more relative, but let's just keep it round. So... Let's say three years ago you bought your home for four hundred thousand. You had a twenty percent deposit, so that's eighty thousand. Twenty percent of uh, four hundred thousand. So that means you needed to borrow from the bank three hundred twenty thousand dollars. Cool. Got it. So after three years, your property is now worth five hundred thousand because you listened to the five steps we talked about before. You know, you might have bought it under value. You paid off your. Um, uh, you've got capital gains coming through all that sort of stuff. So um, and some renovations. Very realistic. Those improvements. After three years, you've paid off uh, some of your mortgage, so it's now sitting at 300,000. You have now lending of 300,000. You're allowed to borrow up to 80% of the value, which is 400,000. All right, interruptions. (laughs) That's all right. Um, So yeah, so you can lend up to 80% of the value of the property, which is 400,000, as that's 80% of 500,000, which means the gap between 400,000 and 300,000 is 100,000. That's how much the bank will allow you to pull out of the property to put towards a second property. Now, what we'd do is we'd draw on that, which is either 30%, so 100,000 is either 30% for like a $330,000 purchase or a 20% deposit towards a $500,000 purchase. So what happens there is we've pulled out the equity as a deposit and then we go to a new bank because we like to split things from your investment property and your personal to okay. keep you nice and safe. We don't want um, all your eggs in one basket. And then we'd go to the new bank. We'd go, hi, we've got this much we can put towards, which is 100000 Please give us the rest of it towards the purchase, mm-hmm. which is just the standard way of doing it. Now, at the moment with the loan-to-value ratio restrictions, a bank will lend you up to 70% of the value of an investment property. Can you quickly explain loan-to-value ratios? Yeah, yeah, no, no worries at all. So <laughs> it, it is the percentage of how much you are borrowing against the value of the property. So if you've got a you know, a million-dollar property and you owe $700,000, you are at 70% loan-to-value ratio. Cool. All right? So in this case here... Um, you've got uh, you know either a hundred thousand, which can be thirty percent uh, towards a three thirty purchase, or twenty percent towards a, a five hundred thousand dollar purchase. Now, a non bank would let you borrow eighty percent against the new property, which would be a new loan of four hundred thousand to go mm-hmm. together with your one hundred thousand. Bang, five hundred thousand dollar property, or. Uh, with a um, bank, because of the rules right now, you'd need to um, borrow two hundred thirty thousand to go together with that one hundred thousand, an investment property of three thirty thousand. So it just depends. Now, that's just based on the equity position of everything. Obviously, we've got other criteria to go through as to you know being able to afford the borrowing. Now, the thing with this now is that we introduce a rental income. So if you're buying a property and it rents for four hundred dollars a week, then we include that. Um, as an income source. And what the bank does is they just scale that down to to mitigate the fact that there'll be costs that come out of the property as well. So they'll take, you know, 80% of the rent in order to just... 
So you're accounting for rental income before you've even got the loan for it. Yeah, because what? Yeah, because the purpose of the new debt is to do that. Yeah. Now, in order to get the funds drawn, we'll have to show the property that we're buying and show the rental income that it's going to receive, and the bank will need to approve of that. Mm-hmm. But it's all based on the pre-approval or the applications, all based on the purpose. So we get to include that nice new rental income. Okay, awesome. And so I think I'll just quickly recap yeah, that. Yeah, cool. Just to go over it again. So a home was bought for 400000 three years ago yep. with a 20% deposit of 80000 So 320000 was lent from the bank. The property three years later is now worth 500000 mm-hmm. for a bunch of reasons. $300,000 is now what you have left to pay. That's how much you owe the bank right now. Yeah. Yep. So how much you have to pay the, the yep. bank because you paid 20000 Off. Yeah. Off. Yep. Cool. Um, and so that means you now have available equity of 100000 because 80% of the value that is now, which is 500000 yep. is 80000 Yep. Okay. Awesome. Is 80%, which is... Is 80%, sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when people okay. talk about equity, they talk about the whole number being that, you know, I've got a property worth 500000 but I owe 300000 So they'll think their equity is, um, you know, usable equity is 200000 because that's the gap. Mm-hmm. But actually the bank will only lend 80%. So the only number I'm concerned about is the available equity rather than the general equity. So equity, to break it down to a simple form, yep. is the gap between the value yep. of the property yep. and what you've... What you owe the bank. What you owe. Yeah. So equity is the difference between the value of the property and what you owe the bank. Yep. And available Sorted. equity yeah. is the value of the property, the gap between the value of the property um, at 80% because that's how much they'll let you borrow against it and how much you owe Okay. because that's available to you. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That makes perfect cool. sense. Not easy to explain the numbers on the, on the go uh, and make it easy for people to follow, but I hope that makes some sense as to how you can you know buy a second property with putting no... Um, physical cash savings, which, you know, as, yeah. as people know, as if once they were a first-home buyer, it's really tough to build that up and you yeah. don't get the benefits of KiwiSaver anymore. Yeah. Um, so being able to understand how you can utilise what you've got is really important. Yeah, definitely. And do you think that having cash savings in addition to that equity is really important or you've seen, like, that lots of people will go will buy their second property without the yeah. cash yeah it takes a long time to save um yeah. whereas the the asset improving or you know that you know you reducing the debt and the asset improving is a lot quicker so yes i see people use their savings especially if they're like maybe commission based where there's a high chunks that come in or or what have you um or maybe they save the cash and hold it for renovations on the new property so that they can do this whole thing again quicker because they then do improvements on the uh, second purchase that they do to mm. then build up the value there. So you can do things in, in multiple ways with a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And do you find banks are quite strict when people are going to buy their second house or investment property because you'll then have two mortgages? No, this is this is um, definitely my probably biggest most of my time is spent doing this as as, as enabling people to continue investing Um, they understand it it's a tried and true method Um, they've got restrictions in place to keep you safe so in terms of you know the the rules they put in place for how much you can afford so they're you know right now you can get a a bank rate at 2.29 while the bank's still testing to see if you can afford it at six seven percent so that's Mm. a big gap or whether the loan-to-value ratio rules to make sure you don't over-leverage against a property. So there's lots of measures in place to make banks, you know, very comfortable with this sort of stuff. Mm. Well, this was a question that I thought was actually 
quite proactive and quite intelligent that I never would have thought of. Mm. But is there anything that someone should do before having the first property that will prepare them for purchasing the second? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a really good thought and it's about... Yeah, again, that whole that what I spoke about before, that buying to your weakness, mm. that you'll if you can kind of judge yourself out of ten and, you know, using a good mortgage advisor will help you is around you know, there's only kind of two ways of judging things. You're either really good in like servicing or equity or, you know, mixed in both or whatever. So understand where you sit on a scale of one to ten for each and what you should be looking at how you buy something should be relate relative to where your gaps are. So um, you know, someone who's you know young usually doesn't have as much deposit. So what they should be looking to put, sorry, what they could look to purchase is something where it's you know undervalued when they buy it, or you know they can improve it so they can realise that equity quicker for the second one. They're not waiting for a market cycle of a you know uh, large capital gains to do it for them. They're creating mm. their own equity. Uh, up front so yeah if you understand your position you can make good buying decisions which can speed up the next step um so yeah buy well the first time be be well aware of your situation so yep um yeah see what you can do to increase the value so understanding what that looks like um and then just being disciplined from then on in terms of your debt um you know you know what consumer debt you you have uh, or what savings Uh, but yeah just being really clear with a good mortgage advisor will allow you to kind of get to that next one quicker Mm. um, I think rather than like you just do the first one then you settle and go oh yeah we want to do the next one now it's like well not too late but it's like we could have done some things in advance to get you ready sort of thing yeah okay awesome and are there any grants or help for people who want to buy a second property we all have our fingers crossed yeah no not quite I I don't I'm not the bearer of good news in that regard um no (laughs) yeah exactly but if you effectively use it the first time you you are still going to get the benefits out of it a second time if you reuse it and and that beautiful word leverage um so no 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 grants coming your way for a second property but there are ways of benefiting from using stuff the first time yeah yeah okay cool that's awesome to know And when should you meet with a mortgage advisor to chat about the second property? Is there a right time? When should we approach it? Early's great. We're we're free conversation. If you want to pick up the phone and go, this is what I'm looking to do, even if you're two years away from it, I'm not going to send you away and say, go away, I don't want to speak to you. You know, it's a journey and everyone's looks different. So I think the earlier you can get onto it, the better, because the more time that you're working towards something, the more likely you are to achieve it um, because, you know, these things do take time. Um, and then you can control as much as you can control between you know the date that you have the conversation and the tips you get and then the goal date. And the thing is, a lot of people also probably don't realise they're closer than they are sometimes. So having that conversation, may, I mean, you might think, oh, I'm three years away, so I'll just wait. But if you have that conversation, someone might be able to tell you, oh, you're only a year away if you can do this, this and this. Mm. Well, how, how, how worthwhile is that conversation, you know, five minutes to go through that? Yeah. So just, just get on the phone, be brave, have an email, on the phone whatever it is yeah absolutely awesome well thanks so much for jumping on jack i really appreciate your time as per usual and if you've got any other questions where can people find you yeah so just jump on um instagram facebook linkedin um jack winlow or my emails uh jack at mortgage supply dot co dot nz and i'd happily chat to anyone if they've got any questions for me thank you amazing Thanks, thanks sarah disclaimer time so The 1UP Project is an educational platform providing information that is general in nature and has no intention of being financial advice. There may be opinions or an individual's experience within this resource that should not be considered as recommendations or personal advice. 
everyone's financial situation is so different and you must use the information provided within the podcast at your own risk. Please complete your own due diligence before making any financial decisions based on the information within this resource. I'm not a qualified, registered or authorised financial advisor and if you require legal, financial or other expert advice, you should seek assistance from a professional advisor. Thanks guys. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, Be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project, and I'll catch you on the next one. 